Somebody say, the desert is for me. Let's say it again. The desert is for me. So this is the third part of the current series we're in, the mountain, the valley, the desert, and the wilderness. And the purpose of this series is to identify that those moments that just because they're difficult, they're still for us. You know, a lot of times, especially as believers, and this is what I'm going to say that I prepared you for a while ago, but there's those things that we believe because we're believers, we come into this place that, you know, we just, we think because it doesn't, it isn't easy, we think because it isn't smooth, then God must not be in it. Because the temperature's not right, God must not be in it. Because something came against me or stood in the way, then God must not be in it. I just wonder... If it were possible, I wonder how many or what the percentage of people who have missed their purpose is because something difficult came up in front of them, rose rose up in front of them, and they said, must not be God. Or how many people have used that absolute foolish statement, when he closes a door, he opens a window. (laughs) Whoever coined that. Stop, Steve. But it's a foolish statement. Well, when he closes a door, he'll open a window. When he closes a window, he'll open a door. No, sometimes he closes a door and waits for you to knock. Because it isn't quite time to go in. If you're sneaking through windows, you're getting in out of time. And we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again that God is in control and he doesn't put us in a situation that we're not prepared for. Or that we cannot overcome. We are prepared in more ways than we know. You need to write that down in your notebook right now. You are prepared for what is in front of you in more ways than you know already. Sometimes it's just you and me, you and I. It's just us coming to the place where we recognize, you know what? I don't think I'm prepared, but actually I am. The difference is... I want to move through, I want to knock the door down or climb through a window. And what he's saying is, I'm building that preparation in you. And when it's built up, the door will open. Somebody needs to hear me. What we do, though, is we are guilty, especially in the church world, we're guilty of the same thing that the natural world is. And that is, we are guilty of repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. I think about this. I think about this black-white thing that is still ongoing. I saw something on the news yesterday. It just irritates me. I loved, loved, loved. I got to say it. I loved when, uh, and I don't remember who did it, about two weeks ago, um, one of the stations was interviewing Todd Bowles, who's the coach of uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Todd Bowles is a a black man. He's not African-American. Black people are not African-American unless they're from Africa. If they're from America, they're just black. Just like I'm not white European. Is anybody hearing me? I told you to be a little edgy. Just walk with me. If you can get what I'm telling you right now, some folks will be set free. I'm thankful that I know that there are some folks in here that support what I'm telling you right now because we've had these conversations over and over again and we walk together in agreement, not because we're of the same color. In fact, we're different colors and we're in agreement. But I loved it because this station interviewed uh, was saying something. He was doing, a, it was after a game. It was a post-game conference, and some of you may have seen it, but, and I'm paraphrasing what I'm going to say because I don't remember all the exact words, but I can tell you 
My paraphrase will not be as sharp as his actual statements. And after the game, someone had asked him, one of the reporters that was out there, uh, one was black, one was white. He was asked two questions by one black reporter, one white reporter. And the black reporter said to him, and there's a reason I'm pointing that out. The black reporters asked him the question, said, well, Mr. Coach Bowles, say, wouldn't you say that it's an awesome thing that you get to play in a game and get to coach a football game. And when they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it was Pittsburgh. Whoever it was, they had a black coach on the other side of the field. Whoever it was. And he said, isn't it an awesome thing that you, as a black coach, get to coach a football team? And when you look across the field, you're coaching against another black coach. Isn't that a sign of how far we've actually come? Don't you think that that's wonderful? Do you find pride in that? And I loved his expression because he kind of looked at them, this reporter, this, it was this person, and he looked at them and he kind of thought for just a second and he said, it is completely irrelevant to me what color that coach is on the other side of that field. I'm not playing against that coach. And I'm not playing harder against him because he's white or easier against him because he's black. I'm playing because he has a team that's trying to beat mine. I didn't come into the game thinking, oh, it's good today because we're doing a black cultural thing out here in public on national TV in the NFL. He said, I didn't do that. I came in here today to beat that team, and I'm going to beat them with a black coach if I can. And I'm going to beat them with a white coach if I can. And then the second reporter, he was very obviously angry. And then the second reporter says to him, this was a white reporter. The white reporter says, but you have to admit, Coach Bowles, You have to admit that there are many black athletes out there that look to you and they see how far you've come and what you've done and what your abilities are and 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 what you all these things that you've overcome. You have to admit that you are you are an example to all of these black kids. Again, he did the same thing. He's already angry. He did the same thing. And I'm paraphrasing. You know not of what you speak. Looking at her. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not a role model for black kids. He said, I'm a role model for all kids. I didn't overcome anything because I'm black. I overcame everything I've overcome because I used my head. Nothing I've gotten was given to me. And neither were the white coaches on my staff. They, staff, they didn't get what they got because it was given to them. Everyone on my staff earned what they got. And if everybody could get that, it would no longer be about black and white. It would be about work hard and overcome. So you say, how in the world does this have anything to do with the desert? Because it is a desert a lot of people are wandering in. And because of this. So there was a time in history when to be a black man or to be a white man was really much more difficult than now. White people, many people, not just white, but predominantly white, people oppressed black people. They enslaved them. You don't need a lesson in history. Well, maybe we do. But white people oppressed black people, enslaved them. All these things that were awful. It was horrible. It's inexcusable. There's, there's no reason to do, there was, it, it, I, don't, there, I don't even know the word to use, how deplorable that that was. But I didn't do it. And I'm not apologizing to anybody. Because I didn't do it. 
So there was a time when white people and other races would belittle the black people, and, and it still happens both ways, but I'm talking about predominantly, would belittle them and, and just tear them down and, and speak evil of them and so on and so forth. And that's hard. And I cannot imagine being a black person living in that situation where no matter what they did, it could never be right. It is inexcusable. It's all the words that I can't even think of. It's not in my vocabulary that mean bad. That's what it is. And now we've come to a time where we've gone from a season where all black people were bad to a season where all white people are bad. (laughs) Track with me. Now if you're white, you're bad. Ah, white privileged male. What does that even mean? Track with me. Anybody, anybody uncomfortable? Don't be. I'm, don't be. Because if we can't talk about these things in the church, they, it, it's better to hear it in the church than it is to hear it on your CNN news at night. And neither of those are right. It was wrong in every possible way to oppress the black man or black people, not just man, but women. There isn't a word to define that. And it's wrong in every way to oppress the white man. Any race, not just white, but that is always what it comes back to in America is black and white. But not in this house. Not among kingdom people. Because that is not who we are in the kingdom. And anybody that makes it about that needs to get saved. Anybody that believes one is better than another or one did this and one did that and lives in that unforgiveness has not yet come to know Christ. The world will stop talking about it when the church stops focusing on it. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? I'm getting somewhere. It's important that you understand what I'm saying before I can dive into what I have to talk about today. So what's happened is, what the world does is the exact same thing that the church does. The world continues to repeat the same error. They keep coming around repeating it over and over and over again. They keep repeating the same thing. We're going to oppress somebody. Bless God, somebody's going to be oppressed. If it's not the black man, it's not the white man. We're going to, it's Hispanic, get ready. Latinos, get ready. It's coming. You might say, well, it's already been there. Well, it's coming again. Because somebody's going to be oppressed because that's the way of Babylon. Babylon lives to oppress and subdue. The kingdom exists to lift up and to grow and to heal and to give hope. So what we have to do is stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again and not being a part of the same mistakes over and over and over again. So on that note, what can we do walking out of here today? White, black, Hispanic, Latino, whatever you are when you walk out of this building, don't let yourself become a part of those conversations. And if you are in that conversation, correct it. The people sitting around there say, that might be your story, it's not mine. This is important. 
It's important because for us to understand what the desert is, sometimes I believe that the desert in our lives is the very thing that we're terrified to define. And yet it is in that terrifying place that God wants to do our growing up and our healing. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So I want to begin with a scripture this morning in Proverbs 21, 19. It says, it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Oh, whoa, how did that get in there? No, that's not the right one. <laughs> that is Proverbs 21, 19. I'm just playing with you. That's not where we're starting at. <laughs> not everything. <laughs> I don't even know how that got there. I do have on there just a funny note, just for fun. I put that in my notes this morning just for fun. It's not in your app this morning. But just in case you didn't hear it, it is better to live in a desert. <laughs> Everybody put your hands on yourself this morning and say, I have come to be changed. And I've come to receive. I'm going to receive. And I'm going to be changed. Amen. So not everything that seems like it is against you really is. Consider that Yahweh created all things, and everything he creates, he purposed for good. Kim and I, some years ago, visited Death Valley in California. And if you don't know, Death Valley uh, is part of the Mojave Desert, I think the northern part of the Mojave Desert. But uh, the Mojave Desert is the hottest, in the summer, is the hottest place on earth. It's the hottest place on the planet. When we were there, we're driving around in this car with Jimmy and Jenny. We're driving around. We're going through. We're just doing, we're sightseeing. And we pull in here. And immediately, you know, we're watching the temperature on the car go up. And there's warning signs everywhere. As we're entering in, there's warning signs. Make sure you have plenty of water. There's no gas stations for 25 miles. There's blah, 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 blah. Get gas. Get water. Get all these things. And if your car overheats, when you're going up a hill, turn your AC off so your car doesn't overheat. And there's all these warnings when you're going in. It's like, oh, I can't wait to go into this park. Holy cow. We're going to die. And you're driving in there, and it's really, really, really cool. But we get in there, and we're watching the temperature go up, and it gets all the way up in, in our travels. I think the hottest it got that I recall was 117 degrees. And you might say, well, it was dry air, so 117 doesn't feel like 117. I just want you to know 117 felt exactly like 140. You got out of that car, and it was blazing hot. So we're driving around this desert, and we're checking everything out. It was the coolest place, coolest not in temperature-wise, but awesome, because driving around in, the, in this place, there's very little that is there, very little trees. There's cactuses and what have you, but there's very little. But one of the cool things about it was, as we're driving around in this place, there's this fox, or coyote, not a fox, a coyote. That is, it seemed like everywhere we went, this coyote was. <laughs> food <laughs> it's sort of like sort of like one of those cartoons when the coyote saw us he saw filet mignon and um but he was and and we're looking around and there's there's little birds and little things that are scurrying and all this heat and all that's going on and it's dry and it's just rocky and and we had this car we did not have a an SUV we had this car and there was a place that we wanted to go to called Sliding Rock where it's really neat because it's in this desert but in the desert it's a flat and some of you might have heard of it but rocks move all by themselves 
Well, it's called, I, I looked it up this morning. It's got like six different names. Racetrack's good too, but Sliding Rock is the one it's most known for. Racetrack, whatever you want to call it. So it's out here and it's all this flat stuff. It's huge. It's massive. It's probably five, six acres in size. And there's boulders. I'm talking about boulders as big as this monitor, even a little bit bigger. And they move by themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, when we're on our way there, we're having these conversations. We're like, there's no way, man. There's something that's going on. What's happening? But what happens is, even though it's hot, for instance, the soil in Death Valley, even though the air temperatures for us was 117, the hottest it's ever been was 130 or 139 or something. But the soil, on average, is 128 degrees. The soil, even though the air is whatever it is. So we're driving around out there, and we're, we're looking at these rocks, and we're on our way. Well, to get to these rocks, we had to go through this, through this long road. It took, I don't remember how long, uh, maybe an hour, and it's just rocky. And we're in this car, and it tells you, you know, all the warning signs, do not go here. If you're not in a right kind of vehicle, make sure you have air in your tires. We're in this little car. And we're driving, and we're going literally probably 10 miles an hour, thinking, okay, well, we've got like 26 bottles of water in the back. And we get in there, but long story short, we get into this place where these rocks are. It's fascinating. Because what you see is you see all these little trails where these rocks move at night, and they move because below the surface, the water, it it freezes. So there's a layer of water that actually freezes, and as it heats up, the water begins to thaw out, and it shifts, and it causes those rocks to float, as it were, across the ground, and it leaves a trail. And they can move up, literally overnight, they can move up, the, the most they've recorded is 16 feet overnight that a rock moved. It's fascinating. So when you look at that, and then you see the caves, and you're driving through, and you see the, the things that Jimmy and I were looking for were scorpions, and we finally got to see some. When we got to the hotel in the middle of the desert, and we get there, and there's the scorpions, and there's snakes, and there's stuff, and there's salt flats, and there's all these things out there. But as we're driving around, this is what my thought is. I'm, we're in the middle of the desert, and my thought is this today. We were so fascinated by it, I would do it again. I'd go back to the desert on purpose. Because even though it was hot, and we went into these ghost towns, and we went into this one place, which was from 1800 and something, and it was a little jail. Could you imagine? It was a little jail that was about as big as like an eight-by-eight-foot room, and it had a little where you could see where the bars used to be in the, in the windows. And it was a little jail. And then behind it, they had this little shop where there was a guy there. I don't even know. I'm not sure what he was doing. He was waiting for his next victim, I think. But he was back in the back. <laughs> And we went back there to see, I think, to get some, yeah. something to snack on or whatever. And we get back there, and here's this guy, a patch on his eyes, like, what can I do for you? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and we left, but, the, um, but it's beautiful. And we went from little ghost town. There's, there's no inhabitants. I mean, it's ghost town to ghost town to ghost town. And we went to all these, or not all, but to many of them because the area is vast, Point being, we get to this place, we went. Why? Because it's beautiful and there's life there. In the middle of the hottest place on earth, and it is barren, and yet it is not. But in it, there is a purpose in that desert. There is a reason that desert is there. The desert 
didn't happen in error. The desert happened because everything that God created is good. Even in our minds, there are people, I don't want 117 degrees. I don't want hot dirt. I don't want any of this. I don't, I don't want to be where that is. I don't want to be where scorpions are. I don't want to be where snakes are. And yet, what if where the scorpions are and where the snakes are and where the high temperatures are and where the pressing heat is and the dryness overcomes you, what if in that place is exactly where you're supposed to be to become exactly who you were created to be? When we recognize the environment that we're put in and we're put there on purpose, then we can accept that what God wants to do in this place is he wants to do something in me. When I can wrap my mind around that, then I'm going to allow him. I I can suffer through some things to get to where he wants me to be. Think of Christ. He said, Father, you know what? It's not my will to go to the cross, but my will is to do what your will is. And your will is that I go to the cross to redeem these men. So not my will, but your will be done. And he went. It wasn't something that he said, oh, this is a desert I want to be a part of, but it is a desert I'm going to be a part of because my fullness happens in that place. Everybody say everything God created is good. So if you're following along in the app this morning, you'll see the statement that I'm about to make. If you aren't following along and you're taking notes, you can write this down. Believing and accepting that everything God created is good is the beginning of you and I understanding those places that we thought were bad. Believing and accepting that everything God created is good is simply the beginning of us understanding those places that we once thought was bad. If I can accept, in other words, that God created the desert, the mountain, the valley, and the desert that we've talked about so far today, the desert, if I can accept that He created the mountain and the valley and the desert, those places that represent difficulty in the mind of believers, because that's what we keep repeating on over and over. We hear mountain, valley... Desert, we think, oh, I'm just in a valley in my life. I'm in a mountain in my life. I'm in a desert in my life. And, you know, I'm just waiting for God to get me through it. And, and the whole time Yahweh's saying, I'm just waiting on you to develop. And some of us need mountains. Some of us need valleys. Some of us need deserts. Some of us need all of it. I'm, I really feel like I'm one that needed it all. And I'm gonna, I need a little wilderness, too, in my life. We'll talk about that next week. But believing and accepting that everything he created is good. First, I believe this is good. Everybody say, the place I'm in. Okay, no, no, no. You better say this with conviction. Everybody say, the place I'm in. God created. And it's good. Oh, man. That's awesome. The place you're in. You don't know where I'm at or you would never say that. Now, here's the truth. You might have gotten there because you made some bad choices. But while you're there, believe me, God's going to create it and use it for your good. But not if. When I get into my desert, when I get into my hot place, when I get into my place of pressing and and heat, when I get into my place where my souls are on fire, when I get into that place, If all I'm doing is saying, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. Show me the way out. Deliver me from this oppression. 
And people are doing that right now. Right now, people are saying, get me out of this place. I'm in a dark place. Get me out of this place. And all the while, then their prayer's not getting answered. They're going to wake up tomorrow, still be praying it. They're going to wake up the next day, still be praying it. And then one day, they're going to wake up, and they're going to realize, God said, I didn't take you out because I put you there on purpose. And I'm not taking you out until you develop the way you're supposed to develop. Because you need a desert in your life. Somebody say it this morning. I needed a desert. So if that's where you find yourself this morning, if you find yourself in a desert, put your hands up. Burn me. Melt me. Change me. Heal me. Whatever it takes. While I'm in this desert, you created this thing and it's good for me. Say it with me. Say the desert. It's good for me. I'm laying hold of it. Mm, Get some dirty desert dirt on you. 1 Timothy chapter 4 reads like this, says this, I want you to hear this, says the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received uh, with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. And nothing he created is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Here's the thing. When you're in your desert, receive it with thanksgiving. Don't shame it. Don't deny it. Don't try to run through it. Go ahead and be matured in it. Father, I'm in my desert. Thank you. There must be something in me you want to do. You trying to change my mind? I'm going to tell you, heat changes things. Heat will break down the strongest iron. You need to hear what I'm telling you right now. Heat will melt the strongest steel. It will evaporate things. It will take away things. It will produce things that are more pure and hardened and able to do what they're supposed to do. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Consecrated, that means on purpose. He said, I'm doing this. You, you got that thing going on and you think just because it's hard, just because it's hot, just because it's steamy, just because your engine's overheating, you think somehow you're in the wrong place? Stop doing what we, the church keeps doing over and over again and looking at this thing and never accepting that what if it's the hand of God? The church is like, oh, they're, they're going to remind you over and over again. All your friends that are churchy are going to remind you over and over again. You're just in a valley. I'm going to pray with you that God will get you out. Freak them out. Say, pray with me that I'm there until he's finished. Pray with me that I don't try to run out until he's finished doing what he wants to do. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, I love this. This is really cool, and I, I made it in bold print on your app so that you could see it. But he said, for, let me back up to verse 4. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And then he says in verse 6, really cool, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ. Point what out? Point out that those hard places people are trying to run through are actually from God. Let your brothers and sisters know. It's just because it's hot, just because there's no trees, there are no trees, just because there's no water that's easily accessible, just because you're going to have to press through some things. I want to let my brothers and sisters know it's okay. 
I'm going to become a teacher and a minister of the gospel, and I'm going to let people know I'm changing your idea of what the desert really is. Mm-mm-mm. Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Man, what does that mean? We'll talk about it. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. First of all, make others aware of simple tr- the simple truth. If God created it, it's good. If God made it, it's good. There is nothing on this earth God did not make. Nothing. If he made it, it's good. If it is, he made it. Mm -mm. Train yourself to be godly. How do we do that? You listen to what I'm telling you right now. If you can receive what I'm telling you right now. And let him begin to work in you in that place, whether it's your mountain, whether it's your valley, whether it's your desert today. Wherever you might find yourself right now, you can, you can allow him to begin to work in you. Stay in that place. Let him do his work in you in that place. I want to tell you, you're becoming more and more godly. What do I mean by godly? You're becoming more and more one who's in tune and you hear the voice of God. You understand him. You're letting him create in you the mind of Christ. He's renewing your mind. He's replacing. He's, he's not replicating. He's not uh, trying to um, simply fix He's completely restoring, he's completely rebirthing in you a right attitude and a right mind. Even if the enemy has corrupted what God created for good, we should not feel the need to run from it. We should be searching out how Yahweh wants us to redeem it. That's training myself for godliness. I want to see how does he want me to redeem this thing. Steve, you have no idea what in the world I'm going on. This cannot be God. It cannot be God. It cannot be God. Well, it can be. It can be. And I'm going to tell you, you might say, I got here on my own. I arrived at this place all by myself, so why would God be in it for me? Because I'm going all the way back to the beginning. You're chosen. Because you're chosen. You're not unchosen. You're chosen. And you're exactly where you need to be. It's tough. It's difficult. It's hard. You're trying to sort it all out. In the middle of all of that, you don't quit. You say, in the middle of all of this, I'm thankful. I am thankful. It's not an evil place. Look at Isaiah chapter 48, beginning with verse 20. Follow with me. It says, go out from Babylon. Free from, uh, flee from Chaldea. B- Babylon in Scripture is, is a place of confusion. Its meaning is confusion. You'll hear me say sometimes, and I learned this from my spiritual father, Nolan Ball, but Babylon is confusion. It means that. And everything outside of the kingdom is Babylon. It is confusion. So he said, go out from confusion. Flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it and send it out to the end of the earth. Let everyone know this, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. It is not an evil place. The desert is not an evil place. The Father took them through the desert on purpose so that He could teach them what they needed to know to become the nation that He needed them to be. He's taking you and me through places that some will not make it through. Don't let that be your testimony. But He is in on purpose and with intent, taking us through places that are difficult and hot and hard and, 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 and challenging and seem overwhelming on purpose so that we can become the nation 
He needs us to be. A nation, not of people who do not know who they are. Not of people who do not know who their God is. Not of people who do not know who the Christ is or know how to call upon Holy Spirit. But of people who have become a testimony and a witness and a demonstration that God is God and there is not another. He's taking us through those places that are difficult. He's taking us, walking us through on purpose and with intent so that he can burn off and peel off those things that we hold so dear and we call precious. And he said, what you call precious, I call weight. Unneeded garments. Names that you call yourself, but I do not call you. Those things you're wearing, I'm walking you through the desert on purpose so that I can peel off every layer that doesn't look like me. I can peel off every idea, every thought that is opposed to what I created you for because I'm going to bring you out and I'm not going to bring you out as one. And I'm not going to bring you out as two. And I'm not going to bring you out as three. But I'm going to bring you out as a nation of people. Who when you get to the other side, you're going to rise up and you're going to say, we came through on purpose. And we recognize that the devil's not an an evil place. I mean, the desert is not an evil place. (laughs) The devil is. (laughs) But the desert is not an evil place. But hear what I'm about to say. The desert might just very well be a righteous place. Just think how if we could change the way we see things, how we would navigate this. If you can let Holy Spirit begin to teach you right now, instead of wallering in your moment, oh, it's so difficult. I'm in just such a hard place. And begin to say, Father, thank you for this hard place. Thank you. And I'm going to watch you do a miracle on my behalf they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts and he made water flow from them out of the rock don't, believe, don't for a second believe that he doesn't have provision for you don't for a second when you think it isn't there I said, to the, I said this before I think from the pulpit but if I took this bottle of water right now and I offered it to Joshua I said son how much would you give me for this bottle of water he wouldn't give me anything because he can go out there and get his own This bottle of water in this room right now has no value or limited, no value. But if I took this bottle of water and I laid it up on one of those sliding rocks and somebody who had driven their car through that desert, all those miles and that heat and didn't take water with them and they got there and they opened that door and suddenly they're parched, unable to breathe. Because the air is so hot and their tongue so dry and their throat is crunchy. Burn. And I held this bottle of water and I said, what's this worth to you? They'd give me their car just for a sip. What was priceless in an environment where there is no challenge. What had no price in an environment where nothing's being required is invaluable in a place where God does His greatest work. Amen. 
The desert is not an evil place. It is a place of finding out who I am. It's a place of building character and faith. Man, in this place, I'm, 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 I'm digging deep. I went camping a few years ago. It was a little different than a desert. It was freezing cold. I'll tell this real quick, but a friend of mine, Henry Jordan, was with us. And we went there, and it was cold now. And we got there, and I took the same group that we normally go camping, and um, they know kind of, we all know what to expect. We get there, it's freezing cold. You walk across the water, and the water, and the, the water from the rivers, we had to walk through 21 or 19, whatever it is, a lot of water crossings. And when you get to the other side, the water that's on the hairs of your legs froze, turned to ice. It was frigid. First time Henry had ever been on a camping trip with me, and he had said, I want to go. I want to go on this trip. And I said, are you sure? He said, I'm absolutely sure, man. I think it'd be great. It'd be fun. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, because you haven't been yet. But I love Henry, and he loves the outdoors, so we said, yeah, come on. So we get out there for this. Did I say the person's name? I shouldn't have. (laughs) It is what it is. We get into this thing, and he suddenly began to find out how difficult this was. Holy cow, it's cold out here. There's snow on the ground. We got 50-pound backpacks, if, unless you're James Padgett, and yours is like 65 pounds. We're wearing shorts. It's 17 degrees outside, 19 degrees, whatever it was. We're walking through freezing cold water. You get there, like I said, there's ice on, your, on the hairs of your legs. And Henry was, Henry was looking for a way out. This is not what I was expecting. Of course, he bought his tent and his sleeping bag and everything. He's, he was vice president of Walmart, so he bought everything from Walmart. <laughs> Let me tell you what you don't do. Don't buy your camping gear at Walmart if it's going to be colder than 70 degrees or if you want it to last for more than one night. And we get to the campsite, me and five or six other guys and Henry, and we get there. And those that have camped with me before, we're all familiar with this. And, and we get there, it's frigid cold. So my shoes are wet, our shoes, all of our shoes are wet. And you leave them outside the tent because you don't want water in your tent coming off your, you know, if you're sleeping and you're creating heat in your tent, you don't want that water getting on your sleeping bag or anything. So you leave them outside your tent. We get up the next morning. Well, first of all, all we hear all night long is Henry shuffling. <laughs> I mean, we're sleeping. It's freezing out there. We're sleeping. You hear this shuffling going on out there. We get up the next morning, and I come out of my tent, and my shoes are solid, frozen solid, just a block of ice. Put them by the fire so they can thaw out. It's a wonderful experience. It's fun. Look over at Henry's tent. It's collapsed. It's falling down. He's coming out of that tent. He's mad. He said, Steve Parker... I am never going camping with you again. We left that place. True story. We got out of there, and as fast as he could, he went to the Goodwill and gave all his equipment away. The reason I'm telling you that is because there's something about being in a place that makes you dig deep. That really changes who you Do you think for a second... Do you think for a second, think about this for a second, all that was required for you and me 
to come back into proper relationship with the Father was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. True? Can we agree on that? He shed it on the cross. So was it necessary that he also went down the Via Dolorosa with a cross on his back? Was it necessary? I know prophetically it was all prophesied. But even that was, the, was God's idea. Why didn't he just say, son, I'm going to make this easier on you. I'm going to let you keep your hair. I'm going to let you keep your beard. I'm going to let you keep the skin on your back. I'm going to let you get on that cross and have plenty of energy. You're not going to have to carry a cross for a mile. I'm going to make this easy on you. I'm just going to make you get on that cross, shed your blood, you'll be dead in short notice, and then you'll rise again in a few days. I'm going to make this real easy. All we got to do is get your blood shed. But he didn't do that, did he? He said, what I'm going to do, you're my son. You're my son. But just like everybody else, I'm going to require of you a mountain. I'm going to require of you a valley. I'm going to require of you a desert. And I'm going to require of you a wilderness. And you're going to have to walk through that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create something in you that is strong. Because I believe this. Had Christ not carried that cross up that Via Dolorosa, had he not done that, had he not allowed them to whip his back without lifting his voice? Had he, not, had he not allowed them to pull out his beard and his hair, to put a crown of thorns on his head? Had he not allowed them, he would not have been able to hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Everything he went to prior to that prepared him to be able to open his mouth and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, but forgive these folks. This is why I came. You gave me the strength I needed through that mountain and in that valley and in that desert and in that wilderness so I could get to this place where I could hang on this cross and say, forgive every single one of them. You ripped this temple apart so that the glory of God can come out and change every heart of every man and woman. And then lastly, living in the desert. Yahweh is our teacher and his classroom isn't the same as the square rooms and comfortable spaces that we're used to. We need to understand that. We think, if we're not careful, we think, well, because I'm a believer, everything is, you know, because what we talk about in church, what we talk about often is we, we focus more on the blessing than we do the challenges. That's what we do in church, isn't it? We try to remind people. We give hope, right? Well, in order to achieve that, things have to happen. Things have to change. If I'm a person who has no government in my finances, if I don't manage my money, suddenly the preacher might stand up and say, you need to manage your money. Well, (laughs) who are you to tell me to manage my money? Well, right there, you just found yourself in a desert. You need to open the door for your wife. When you go to the door, open the door for your wife or for the ladies and be a gentleman. (laughs) That's old school. We don't do that anymore in this generation. There's your desert. All the women said... Yeah. But he's our teacher. His classroom 
Isn't the places that we find comfort in, we come to the church and we, we just expect, you know, I'm just, people are going to build me up and give me hope and tell me that everything is going to be good and it's going to be okay. It is, but there's going to be things that are required of us and there's journeys that we have to take. People get mad in churches. They get mad at preachers. They've been mad at one or two people over 23 years have been mad at me and left the church. Just a couple. <laughs> they got offended with something I said. But the truth is, it's in those places. Don't ever leave in offense. If you're going to leave, leave when everything's great. You don't leave when you're mad. You leave when you're mad. You just said to the Father, I don't trust you. Luke chapter 1, verse 80 in the New American Standard Bible reads like this. It says, this is great. I'm going to end with this. And the child continued to grow. Everybody say, Christ. Christ. Oh, man, this is good right here. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Symbolism, truth, life. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. Now, it's symbolic. I'm using symbolism. That Christ anointing. Continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The same Christ anointing that existed in John the Baptist, in the disciples, in whoever you want to name throughout the generations. That same Christ anointing that was in them that prepared them, prepared them in places that most believers would avoid. Whoa, there's a desert. Steer clear. And all the while, the road the Father's got you on takes you right through it. Don't be afraid to live in the place that you fear until you become what you were created to be. He said that child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit in the deserts until what? Until, I love that word, until. Preached a series on it some years ago. It was transformative. Until, until he was ready to appear publicly to the nation of God. The child continued to grow. Listen to me. Put your hands on yourself this morning. Say, I choose to continue to grow and become strong in spirit. To accept my desert until the day His work in me is complete. Mm. I'm going to lift up my hands. And then I'm going to say, Father, thank you for this mountain place for this valley place, for this desert place. Father, I'm thankful. When all the voices that are around me are telling me, oh, you must have done something bad. You're blind because you're, somehow your parents sinned against God. When all the voices are telling you that somehow it's your fault. And even if it is, and you're there, there's never been a desert place God did not create. While you're there. Father, I'm thanking you for this. Whatever it is that you want to do in me, I yield.
Whatever muscles you're trying to exercise, I yield. Whatever it is that you want me to learn, I yield. Come on, stand with me this morning. Put your hands up. Father, whatever you want to show me, say it with me. Say, Father, whatever you want to show me, show me. Wherever I'm at, say it with me. Wherever I'm at, in that place, grow me and change me. Help me to hear your voice, to trust your words to me. Help me in this place to be thankful, not to despise it, but to be thankful for your hands lifted up this morning. Father, I lift my voice over the men and the women of this house. There are people that are under the sound of my voice. There are people that are watching online today, and they know they're in these places, whether it's a mountain, a valley, or a desert. They know they're in these places, and somehow they're doing everything. They're kicking and scratching and screaming. They've been trying to get out of it. Today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll do your complete work in that place. Let every person, let them find rest there until they're prepared, until their day of appearing comes. Until the day of appearing comes and you bring us out as a nation. Not one, not two, not three, but as a nation. You bring us out as a nation, Father, until the day of appearing. Let that place, let your work in us be done in that place. We yield to you today. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Everybody say